Hi, hello, and welcome to episode three of the Future in Finance podcast series. Now, today we were meant to have a really special bonus episode with an even more special guest. We recorded tons of useful content on a new platform so that we could integrate some videos and other pieces, but unfortunately, the software let us down. It may have been user error, but the material wasn't salvageable, and we didn't have time to do a quick re-record and edit before getting to our usual Wednesday slot. So I'm really sorry to say that today you are stuck with me, and it will just be me, because my sidekick co-host has disappeared off climbing somewhere in the Greek islands. Cue the tiny violin for me being stuck here, educating you guys on tax, instead of sunning myself on the sea cliffs. As they say, alas, we hustle, and that brings us to this week's topic. Now, if you're new here, this is a podcast aimed at helping you study for your certificate in mortgage advice and practice. If this is your first time here, I'd recommend heading over to episode one, just since we're covering all the material in chronological, 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 chronological order, that makes the most sense. Alternatively, if you're here because this is a standout unit that you've been struggling with, then welcome. I'm Charlotte from Future in Finance, and today we're covering CMAP 1, unit 1, topic 3, tax. Let's jump in. Hi, so since we try and keep these episodes condensed at a maximum 20 minutes, I'm going to try and pick out the key bits for us to work on. So if you do want a complete topic three audio study guide, you can head on over to www.futureinfinance.co.uk and you can select any topic you're struggling with, get the audio help for the low, low price of just a tenner. If the topic you need isn't there yet, I'm working on it, but do get in touch, reach out on Instagram. I can prioritise any particular topic. At the minute, we're just working chronologically, but let me know. So by the end of this episode, we should have a clear understanding of number one, income tax. Number two, deduction of income tax at source. Number three, the different ways in which employed and self-employed people pay tax. Number four, national insurance contributions. And number five, residence versus domicile. Now, like I said, this isn't the whole topic. It is quite heavy, this one, but it should give us the basics that we need to get ahead of the curve. It's really, really important to remember that the rules on tax change all the time. And if you are considering a career in financial advice, you need to keep up to date with the changes. So you can grab a hold of the current tax tables and tax table allowances online. They're updated every April, so the tax year or the fiscal year runs from the 6th of April to the 5th of April, and you will use them a lot. When you sit in your CMAP exam, you do not need to know the tax allowances. You don't need to memorise it. You will be provided with a tax table for the exam. You just need to have an understanding of how they work and how to complete a couple of different tax calculations. All right, first up, we have taxable income. So this is one of the main sources of revenue for the government, which is why there's always such a heavy focus on it if you ever listen to any of the budget announcements. And it's due from any individual on their income from employment, self-employment, pension income, rental income, and on any interest and dividends received. Don't worry about that last one. We will loop back in another topic. All UK residents, including children, may be subject to income tax depending on the amount of income that they receive. The part about children being subject to income tax is important because I have seen it in the exam questions, so just make a mental note, stick it to your fridge, write it on a post-it, do whatever it is that you need to do to remember it. 
It's worth remembering that the income tax charged from a child is normally added onto the parent's income for tax purposes. So picture the scene, you've got Macaulay Culkin, Home Alone, one, two, or three. I don't mind, you choose. Big child star will probably come with a big child check as well of some sort. So the tax he will have paid on that, it would have been calculated from his parents' taxable income as opposed to his own. Not all income that's received is taxable, so I'm going to fire through a list, but I've also made a separate Instagram post about it for reference. The list is pretty extensive, you don't need to memorise it, but it's just helpful to have an understanding and for you to maybe take a look at further down the line. So, we have redundancy payments, any shares provided through a share incentive plan, interest on NSNI certificates, income from ISAs, gift aid payments, proceeds of qualifying life insurance policies, casual gambling profits, lottery prizes, wedding gifts from an employer, certain retirement gifts paid by an employer, full-time student scholarships or grants, grants received from an employer, war widow pensions, certain state benefits, housing grants paid by local authorities, the capital part of a purchased life annuity, and interest on tax rebates. I really hope that you're still with me. I'm sorry, there is no fun way of going through that list. But just to recap, everybody pays tax on the income that they receive as long as it's over their allowance. There are some exemptions. You don't need to remember them. But if you do want to know more, head on over to at Future in Finance on Instagram. Take a breath. That was heavy. We're going to move on. And we're going to move on to allowances. So everyone has a tax-free allowance, and all that this means is that they have a certain amount of income that they can earn, and they won't be taxed on it until they reach that limit. Again, my focus today is going to be to get you the basic understanding. We're not going to dive super deep into the detail of each type of allowance, but just to give you an idea of what the main topic does cover in the audio study guide and what I can cover you in more detail there, There are things like marriage allowances, a married couple's allowance, and the two are not the same, a blind person allowance, a personal savings allowance, a dividends allowance, and an allowance for property and trading income. For the purpose of this podcast, we are only going to take a look at personal allowance. So everyone has a tax-free allowance, which means if you earn under that amount, you pay no tax, which sounds great. As of the 6th of April 2023, your personal tax allowance is £2,570. This means that you don't pay any tax on your earnings under that amount. Anything over that amount will fall within a specific tax category, but more on that later. Now, I want to give a quick shout out here to things like pensions, charitable contributions and expenses. So think work expenses. You don't pay tax on those. Even if they're on your payslip, they are classed as deductions. I need to bring you back in, back from the dire depths of tax deduction. So get both ears listening. One thing that has come up in every mock exam that I've seen, and it came up in my exam, the first thing is self-employed people's expenses can only be incurred wholly and exclusively for purposes of the trade. And the second is employed people's must be incurred wholly, exclusively and necessarily while doing the job. Now you're going to ask, great, but Charlotte, what's the difference? So this is just talking about expenses, the differences between employed people and self-employed people. And honestly, the difference isn't that big, but it is just the wording from the multiple choice options. So self-employed, wholly and exclusively for purposes of the trade. Employed, wholly, exclusively and necessarily while doing the job. Got it? Great. All right, take a breath. 
that is the first of the four objectives done and hopefully you'll still be with me i promise it's going to get easier next up we're talking about paying income tax so if you're employed it's very likely that your income tax is something called taxed at source and all that that means is that hmrc will automatically take the tax from your earnings before you receive your wage usually through a system called payee system but that way you're probably not going to receive a nice big tax bill at the end of the year Now, I say probably because sometimes HMRC can miscalculate it, meaning you can sometimes get a tax rebate, which is always nice, but it does also mean sometimes you can get a bill, which is pretty much the same feeling as getting a parking ticket. It sucks. On the other hand, we have people who are self-employed. Now, they have to pay their income tax direct to HMRC, and it's generally calculated based off the net profits from their accounts. So they take the total income in their business, they deduct any allowable expenses, and once they've submitted it, they tend to get a tax bill to pay at the end of the financial year. Self-employed individuals can either use an accountant or they can use the self-assessment with HMRC. All right, good news. We've just boxed off objectives two and three, which means we're definitely on the home straight. So objective four, national insurance contributions. Now, for those of you who don't know, national insurance contributions are compulsory payments that are made by both employers and employees to help support people who are sick, unemployed or retired. The idea being that at some point you'll likely fall into one of those categories and you'll benefit from the system. Ultimately, they're a form of tax. So there are four classes of national insurance contributions and your employment status will generally determine which class you contribute to and you'll only pay it once you've exceeded your personal tax allowance, which we mentioned earlier. So first up, we've got class one. That's paid by both an employee and an employer at a certain rate, depending on your salary. Then there's class two, which is a flat rate contribution paid by the self-employed through self-assessment. Class three, which is another flat rate, but this is a voluntary contribution that can be paid by people who wouldn't otherwise be entitled to a state pension or sickness benefit. So, for example, if somebody's working abroad, they can still contribute towards national insurance contributions. And then you've got class four, which is an additional contribution payable by the self-employed. And that amount is generally calculated by looking at their profits. Now, if you're wondering why on earth anyone would want to voluntarily contribute towards paying more tax, there are a couple of reasons for this. So number one, if you want to receive a state pension, you have to have made a certain number of national insurance contributions. So effectively, it's people thinking about their future self. Similarly, if you're self-employed and you have been making the national insurance contributions, you'll be entitled to the maternity allowance if you decide to have a baby. Remember, maternity pay is only for people who are self-employed. So if you're not making the national insurance contributions, you'll get no support when you're off. An easy way to remember the classes is that class two and four are for the self-employed and class one and three are for everybody else. All right, last but not least, we've got objective five. So we're going to talk about something called residency versus domicile. They're terms that are important to remember if you're ever in a position where you need to calculate either somebody's inheritance tax or their capital gains tax. They do quite regularly come up as references in the exam, so I just wanted to drop it in here. Whether or not an individual is liable to pay income tax will depend on their residence or domicile according to UK law. So let's start with domicile. Domicile is best described as the country that an individual treats as their home even if they go away to live in another country for a time. So as a general rule, everyone acquires a domicile origin at birth. The rule is that the child automatically is given the same domicile as their mother 
at birth or their father if their parents are married. And a person can change their domicile by going to live in a different country, intending to stay there permanently. I guess in its simplest terms, domicile is just somewhere that somebody would call home. The reason that domicile is important is because it is the main thing that affects liability to inheritance tax. So if a person is domiciled in the UK, inheritance tax is chargeable on assets anywhere in the world. But if they're not UK domiciled, they'll only pay inheritance tax on the assets that they have in the UK. So individuals who are not UK domiciled but have been resident in the UK for the last 15 out of 20 years are technically classed to be UK domiciled for inheritance tax purposes. The next thing we're going to touch on is residence. Now, residence mainly affects income tax and capital capital gains tax. So any person who is present in the UK for at least 183 days, so six months of the year, is automatically regarded as a UK resident for tax purposes. If they're not present for at least six months per year, there is something called a statutory residence test that's applied. We don't need to know about it for the CMAP exam, so I'm not going to touch on it today. So a person who is resident and domiciled in the UK will be taxed on their worldwide earnings whether or not the income is brought into the UK. Now, if, like me, you've got no idea why this is important, let's talk about a real-world example. Hopefully, you've all heard of Lewis Hamilton, supposedly everyone's F1 favourite. Although he is a resident of the UK, he moved to Switzerland and then Monaco, and this was partially because of their generous tax systems. So those countries don't charge any capital gains tax and Monaco hasn't actually charged any personal income income tax on any resident there since about 1869. However, because he's among the top 5,000 taxpayers in the UK, he will still pay tax here because he's UK domiciled, as well as paying tax in all the countries that he's raced in. But I wouldn't be feeling sorry for him just yet. I think he's doing okay. Now, the UK has something called a Reciprocal Tax Treaty, which is more commonly known as a double taxation agreement, with a list of a bunch of other countries which was set out to make sure that individuals like Lewis are not taxed twice on their income. This means that some income will only be taxed in one of the two countries covered by the agreement. Now, in some cases, income can be taxed in two countries, but for a UK resident, any overseas tax that's been paid will be deducted from their UK tax liability. So a really quick recap before we wrap this up. Domiciled is related mainly to inheritance tax and residence is related to income and capital gains tax. Guys, we did it. I'll be totally honest with you. Topic three was never going to be anyone's favourite. The tax was taxing and I'm so glad it's done. Now, we set out at the start of this episode wanting to box off a few things. So, number one was income tax. Number two was deduction of income tax at source. Number three was the different ways in which employed and the self-employed pay tax. Number four was national insurance contributions. And number five was residence versus domicile. And I think it's safe to say that we did it. Now, if you have any questions, if there's anything you want to know more about, or if you just want to tell me that you're studying for your CMAP exam and you fell on this podcast completely by accident, but you learned something new today, then please reach out. You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram at Future in Finance. You can also head on over to the website, www.futureinfinance.co.uk. We have this podcast. We also have a bi-weekly blog. We have intensive fast-track CMAP training courses with dates coming up. At the minute, there's Saturday dates available. And we're soon to have a unit-by-unit audio study guide breakdown. 
if you don't want to drop £250 on the Ultimate CMAP 1 Audio Study Guide, then don't worry, you can buy each unit one at a time. It's ideal if you're self-studying and there's one particular unit that's got you shook, and guess what? It'll cost you a tenner. £10, which is probably going to buy you one and a third mediocre costas. So save yourself the caffeine headache. Don't worry, we've all been there. Go better yourself. Go get the career you want and go get help with your CMAP studies with Future in Finance. It's been an absolute dream having you here. Thank you so much for listening and I can't wait to catch you in two weeks.